the Lord. Well, let's give the Lord a good hand today. Come on, let's give him a good hand today for his goodness and kindness, for the freedom that we enjoy in the United States of America. You know, this is Memorial Day, one unlike any that we have ever lived in our, in our lifetimes. Yet as we remember this day, we're remembering the 1.2 million people that died in the probably 10, 12 wars that America has fought. Began with the Revolutionary War when men were fighting for our freedom to have a free nation. The Civil War was a war once again for unity and freedom for slaves in America. The world's wars that were fought, World War II, Civil War had almost 500,000 people that lost their lives, willingly gave their lives. World War II had almost as many people. Two world wars fought for freedom in the world. The last two wars that we have fought have been against terrorism around the world. And approximately 1.2 million people have lost their lives so you and I could be free today. So we wouldn't have to worship God hiding in a basement somewhere. So we wouldn't have to be afraid to have our Bibles. But we could literally live in a land where we could enjoy the freedom that God intended for us to have. Can you just give the Lord one more hand and say, thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. Well, listen, I am looking forward to being able to be with you next weekend back at Mall Drive. We're having three weekend services. I don't like uh, pastoring far away. I've, I've been doing uh, little devotional videos uh, the Monday through Friday, and Whitney told me the other day, she said, well, about 1,400 people are watching them. And I think, well, that's great. But I like kind of face-to-face -face pastoring. I like to be able to, when you come to church on Saturday, I like to shake your hand. I like to hug your neck. I, I don't like this uh, standing far away from people. And we are coming to an end of it. Uh, I, thankfully, as our nation of Texas is leading the way in many respects, I'm grateful to have a governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general that all stand for religious freedom, that see the church not just as something that is, uh, they have to tolerate, but something that's essential for the health of the nation. Well, listen, as, as we are preparing to kind of go back to somewhat life as normal, uh, we're leaving the uh, corona quarantine. Uh, I have been talking to Siri a lot. I think I talked to her twice today, and I asked her a couple questions. We asked her about what a certain flower grow in Texas and some other things. But I asked Siri when I was preparing this message, I said, Siri, what do I have to do to keep myself safe from the coronavirus when we start reengaging in the community? And uh, she popped up several things, and, and this is where my message begins. The things that Siri told me I should do to protect myself were she basically quoted the World Health Organization, she quoted the CDC, she quoted some university studies and things that we've heard ad finitum, wash your hands, social distance, wear a mask, blah, 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 all those things. But not one time could I find where Siri mentioned if you want to keep yourself safe and free from diseases and calamity and hardship in the world, look to God as your source of protection and provision. You do not find that in our world today. Our world, and I want you to think about this, how we've been shaped by, whether you call it secularism or humanism, they're basically both an approach to life that says there is no God, and certainly God doesn't intervene in the world. 
Now listen, I believe that Christians should be cautious in what we do and we go as we engage life. I put my seatbelt on, not because I'm planning to have an accident, but if I did, supposedly it's supposed to keep me safer. You understand? We're cautious in the world, but how many know we ultimately rely on God to protect us and to provide for us? And there's an element that I want to speak about today. I'm going to call it supernatural. And I'm going to talk with you as we're going to look back, and it's going to be kind of two parts to the message. Uh, The first part of the message, we're going to go back in Israel's history. We're going to look at how God treated them differently in in the land of Egypt. There were 10 plagues that assaulted the land of Egypt, and it was like there was an umbrella from heaven. When these plagues would fall on the Egyptian people, it's like the, just like you and I, if we go out in the rain, we have an umbrella on to keep us safe from the rain that's going to fall on us. Well, in the same way, the children of Israel were under a supernatural umbrella of God's protection in these plagues. God had a purpose and God had a plan. They were the people of God. And I want to talk about that umbrella, as it were, as a supernatural element that God covers our lives. How many know when the coronavirus is over, there's going to be something else out in the world that's trying to get us? Old age will try to get you. Disease will try to get you. Job loss will try to get you. Inflation will try to get you. Something's going to try to get you. How many know we need an umbrella of God's protection and provision over our life? Come on, whether the coronavirus or anything else is in the world. Well, this is what I want to talk to you about today, and I've entitled the, the message Different. Simply the word different. Because we will see from the nation of Israel is that the reason God treated them differently is because they acted differently. The reason that umbrella came over their head is because they were a different people set apart to God. And as they lived their life set apart to God, they invited this supernatural protection from God to be on their lives. We're going to explore it together today. So uh, I want you to say this with me. If we want God to treat us differently then we must live differently. In other words, if I want there to be over my life, when tragedy comes, when heartache comes, when attack comes, when the plagues of the world comes, when I want God's supernatural provision in my life, I must commit myself to living His way. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 8 And I want to ask all the kids that are here today, kids, how many plagues were there in Egypt? How many? Say it real loud. Yeah, there were 10 plagues that came to Egypt. We're going to look at three of them today. But I want you to think with me about something that we don't talk a lot about today, but it's the word supernatural. Even as a Christian, we can live so much immersed in the natural world, the logical world, the reasonable world, the world of experts, the world of experience. And these are all valid, but they don't complete the life of the Christian. For the Christian, we live in a world where there's a supernatural God, and we invite his supernatural experience to come in our lives. So let's look at this first part. Uh, Exodus chapter 8, God has basically reached the time where he is going to call out 
400 years it was prophesied that Israel would live in the land of Egypt before they would come out. And now it's time for Israel to come out of the land of Egypt and go to the promised land. But yet they had multiplied from perhaps they were 70 as they began. Now there's some one, perhaps some scholars believe, two million Israelite people. And now Moses is going to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land. The only problem is they work for free for Pharaoh and he doesn't want to let them go. And when Moses went to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And these plagues were God's judgment on Egypt to, as it were, twist his arm to make him let God's people go. And I want you to listen to this as we think of the supernatural. Exodus chapter 8, verse 20. The Lord told Moses, meet the king of Egypt, this is Pharaoh, and tell him, this is what the Lord says. I want you to get the picture. If you've seen the old movies, the old Charlton Heston movie with, with Moses and with Pharaoh, Pharaoh girded as this great king. Pharaoh was literally believed and treated as a god. And Moses went to him and said this, and this was the fourth plague. And he said, if you don't let them go, I'm going to send swarms of flies into your houses. But I want you to listen to verse 22. It's the theme of what I'm saying. But God said, I will not treat the Israelites the same as the Egyptian people. There will not be any flies in the land of Goshen where my people live. I will treat my people differently from your people. Can you say that with me? God says, I will treat my people differently from your people. In other words, God says, I'm going to extend my protection over those that are called to follow me. I'm going to extend to them my provision, and I'm not going to extend it to you you're going to be treated differently than I treat my people. And this idea that as Christians, you see, Israel lived differently from the Egyptians. They followed the true God. The Egyptians followed pagan gods. They worshiped Pharaoh. They worshiped the Nile River. They worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. They were astrologers. They had many gods. They were polytheistic. But yet Israel was the one true God, and that's what made them different because they followed the ways of God. And I want to tell you this today, this simple truth, that you and I are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God has called us to live differently from the world. We enjoy the world. I can't wait to go to the new little restaurant right over here. I've not yet been yet. I love uh, Louisiana seafood. I can't wait to go there. Listen, that is not an evil worldly thing. That's just something that's there to enjoy. But there's a system that's in the world. It's a way of living. It's a way of looking at marriage. It's a way of looking at raising kids that's not biblical. It's not godly, but it's worldly. And what I want to tell you today, friends, is you and I are supposed to be what? Say it with me. Different. We're supposed to be different from the world. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14, it says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He says, What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? Now, that doesn't mean the Christian doesn't hang out with people that don't know the Lord. How I many know we're supposed to populate heaven? We're supposed to win as many people as we can to Christ. But what it means is my life is supposed to be different than people that are in the world. As a Christian husband, I'm supposed to be faithful to my wife the rest of my days. As a Christian son, I'm supposed to honor my mother the rest of her days. As a Christian grandfather, I'm supposed to teach not only my children, but teach my grandchildren the ways of God. We are different than light and darkness. <clears throat> but let's see now, there was not just one plague, there was a different one. Exodus chapter 9, verse 22, it was the second plague. The Lord told Moses, hail will start falling. 
Kids, you know what hail is? How many, how many have seen hail? Kids, wave your hand at me if you've seen hail. Sure, it's like ice, ball, ice cubes falling out of the sky. Most of the time, it's big as a dime, sometimes a quarter. Sometimes it's big as a 50-cent piece, and some have even been as big as a baseball. But God said, hail is going to fall out of the sky. It's going to destroy all the people and the animals in the fields. It also destroyed everything that grew in the fields. Now listen to this, verse 26. The only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites lived. It's like saying there was a devastating storm and it wiped out everything south of I-30, but everything north of I-30 was spared. We would call it a natural phenomena today. We would call it, well, that's just the path of the tornado. But in their day, it was not the case. In this one small area, this land of Goshen where Israel lived, it was supernatural protection. And here's what I want to tell you today, friends. You and I need God's supernatural protection. You and I need God's supernatural provision. Listen, we have jobs, we work, but we need the supernatural hand of God at work for us. And there was another plague I'll look at, verse chapter 10. It said, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt. And they didn't see one another. They didn't, any, no one rose from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Now, think of that. We don't know. It could have been just something sovereign and supernatural the way that that happened. But there are scientists that say what it clearly could have been is it could have been a sandstorm. The hot winds that blew through the desert, the fine dust in the sandstorm literally could have been so strong that it shut out the light of the sun for three days. But the oddest thing is, if that sandstorm was happening on that side of I-30 and they couldn't see a thing, they couldn't come out of their houses, but we over here, we were able to see everything, go out of our houses, we had light in our homes. There was a distinction that was made between the world and the people of God. And here's what I want you to see today. It's the same God that wants to be the same, make the same distinction between you and I and the world in which we live today. We are different people. You know, when we talk about the supernatural protection of God, I want to tell you, friends, I'm here today because of that. My mother, who's with me today, she's on the second row there. During World War II, her family lived in the Baltic state of Latvia. One of the first things the Russians did when they took Latvia as a Russian satellite, they came in and they took all the guns from the citizens. My grandfather was the postmaster. He had about 300 acres that he farmed. My grandmother was a school teacher. After they'd taken the guns away from the people, in the middle of the night, armed Russian soldiers came in to my mother. My, my mother was alive at the time. She was a little girl. They came into her house in the middle of the night. They took my grandfather and they put barbed wire and they wired his hands together. They rounded up every leader in the town and they put them on boxcars headed for Siberia. Now, how would you like to be chained there knowing that you never see your family again in the middle of the night? What a feeling that must be. But in that boxcar, my grandfather, we interviewed them when they were in their 80s. And he just matter-of-factly said this. He said, that night Jesus appeared to me and said, fear not. Now, how many know when you're in that kind of situation, <laughs> you need the intervention of God. You need God's supernatural hand to touch your life. The next morning, his story goes, we woke up, the train stopped, they took the barbed wire off our hands, they gave us shovels to dig our graves. 
He says, we're digging our graves. The Russian front shifted with the Germans and all of a sudden the soldiers that were all around us, they ran and they fled and they left the train. He said, we that were on the train, we went back to our hometown. He said, I got my family. I got an, a, 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 a horse and a cart and everything they could put in the wagon and they left the town in search of freedom. I mean, no, that's a supernatural act. It's like you're going to be killed and something there has the authority to take your life, but there's something that is protecting you from the danger that's going to fall. How many know that's the hand of the Lord? It's the unseen hand of the Lord. My grandmother tells this story. She said, she said, as we would go across Europe, she said, we would sometimes go and stay in villages, try to meet people, try to buy food. But she said, one day, we were, uh, one evening when we were thinking about where we were going to go that night, we started to go in town, but she just said, something just told me, don't go into the town tonight, but stay and camp on the outskirts of town. She said that night the town was bombed and was destroyed and they would have been killed. You say, well, wasn't she lucky? She wasn't lucky. She had the supernatural hand of God on her life. Are you with me today? Now listen, you say, well, why do these things happen? Israel, when you look at Israel, Israel didn't have the supernatural in their lives because they were a group of perfect people. Listen, they were a group of knuckleheads. How many know that? The people that Moses took across the, the wilderness. These people wanted to go back to Egypt. They turned their back on God. But I want you to hear this. They were a people of purpose. The Israelite people were a people that God had specifically called. They were called the chosen people. And they were chosen literally to receive the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. That law that the New Testament said would be a law that would lead us to Christ as a schoolmaster. The Israelite people were entrusted with the law. The Israelite people experienced the Passover in Egypt. How many know Jesus came to be the Passover lamb that saves the world? And they also, listen, they were also a picture of God's preservation of everything that is, is good in life. The Israelite people were pictures of this. They had the law of Moses. They had the Passover. And most importantly, they were into the lineage of Jesus Christ. So God had a purpose for them. And here's what I want you to see. God had a purpose for my grandparents before I was even born. God had a purpose for my mother before she even grew that one day they would migrate to a free nation called America. And those purposes are many fold. But I remember my grandmother also with tears in her eyes telling me when I told her that I was going to be a Christian pastor, a minister, she said, now I understand a little bit more why God let that happen to me because of the purpose of what he's doing in your life. Now, I'm certainly not saying it's all about me, but what I am saying is I see the hand of God moving across my family's legacy, and it's for a purpose. So here's the question. Every one of us in this parking lot or listening over the internet today should say, I want that in my life. How can I have that kind of protection and provision in my life? And I want to give you a few things that, that bring this message together in a very, very practical way. You know, there are certain verses in the Bible that kind of are summary verses of how we might live to be under the umbrella of God, to be in that special place of the Lord. Obviously, for every one of us as a Christian, as a genuine, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have a purpose of God on our life. We are not an accident. We're not just here to make a little money, have a little fun, and pay some taxes and then die. You, friends, have a purpose of God in, on your life. Point to the person next to you and say, God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. No one in here is an accident. So let me read this verse to you, and this is the practical part of the message, is how, how might we live in such a way 
to be under this supernatural protection and provision of God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, here's what Moses told the Israelite people as they headed to their promised land. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and I want you to listen for four things. He said, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And here's what he said. He said, fear the Lord. Can you say that? Fear the Lord your God. Number two, live in a way that pleases him. Can you say that? Live in a way that pleases him. Here's the third thing. Love him. Say that with me. Love him. And lastly, serve the Lord with all your heart and soul. Now I want you to think of those four simple things found in the Old Testament that are filled with the New Testament as well. How someone might live their life, live their marriage, raise their kids, conduct their business, live their life under an umbrella if they'll fear the Lord, live in the way that pleases him, love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And he goes on to say, if you'll do these things today, it's for your own good. Now let me say this. The world is not like this. We are to be different from the world, but worldly people do not fear God. Worldly people do not fear God. They do not live to please him. They love the things of this world more than God. And worldly people certainly don't live to serve the Lord. But Christians are different. How many know we as Christian people, more than someone just with a belief system, but a follower of Christ, of Christ lives differently. And this is what I'm encouraging you to do. And I want to pause and I'm going to go back over these four things today. Because I want to tell you, friends, I, I had a, a little experience just yesterday. It was kind of comical, but it was kind of sad. I made a post on a, on a, on a website, uh, it was not a website, but it was on a, a Facebook group, a community group. I posted one of my little morning devotionals, and it was just something, just a little Bible message. It was nothing about the church, not an invitation platform. It was just sharing a few verses of Scripture for three or four minutes. And uh, one guy wrote back and, and, and basically said, uh, 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 what you're doing basically is wasting your time here. This is, not about, this is about news. And then somebody else pipes up, and then the one guy, he said something like, uh, uh, well, the Bible is just, uh, is just numbers and syllables and sounds and words. That's all it is. It's not true. And I said, well, for your sake, I hope it's not true. Because if it is true, you've got a real problem. And I didn't make fun of him. I didn't pick on him. But I've begun to pray for him. But what it brought keenly to my attention is there's a lot of people that don't care about the Lord. There's a lot of people that don't fear the Lord. There's a lot of people that have never given a penny to the work of the Lord. But we are supposed to be different from that. We are different from the world. And let me give you these four things. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Kids, I want you to say fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And it's simply this. To fear God means that I respect him enough to do what he says because he's the ultimate authority to which I'll give an account. Let me say that again. The fear of God is that I respect God enough to do what he says because one day I'm going to stand before him and give an account with my life. We have a policeman on our grounds today. His, his, his police truck is parked right over there. Well, let me tell you what. If you think you're particularly tough and you mess with him and you might be able to take him out, but he's got a radio, and with his radio, he could have about 100 dudes tougher than you are, just like that. And how many know authority would squelch anything that could happen in this parking lot? 
But there is an authority that's greater than civil authority. It's the authority of God. And I want to suggest that Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, but cannot touch your soul. Jesus said, fear only God. Can you say that with me? Fear only God. This is the New Testament. For God can destroy the soul in the body in hell. Heaven is real. I look forward to going there, but hell is real. And I fear God because it keeps me on the straight and narrow way. Well, let me tell you this. People in the world don't fear God. They live as they please. They live as though though he doesn't exist. But one day they'll realize how wrong they were. And it may be eternally too late. That's why you and I want to live out our purpose every day. Our purpose was not like Israel's to be in the lineage of Christ. Our purpose is to populate heaven. Our purpose is to be a light and let our light shine. Our purpose is not to mock or make fun or be self-righteous of those that don't know our God, but in a loving way to call and bring them to Christ, to tell them the good news that will bring salvation to their souls. That's what we're called to do. And the first thing about living under that umbrella Because I'll tell you this, my grandparents, my grandfather could speak a little bit of English, but it was always broken, and and it was just, you couldn't fully grasp what he was doing. Very private. They were Lutherans. Their religion was very private. They didn't talk a lot about it publicly. It surprised me when he talked to me about his vision. But I'll tell you this, my grandmother was one of the most godly people that I've ever met. She was as sweet as she can be, but listen, she lost two of her children. Two of her children were conscripted in the German army, and she never saw them again. I want you to think about your little boy. I want you to think about your little girl. I want you to think about your children. If someone just came up to you tonight and they came up with guns, and they had more guns than we do, (laughs) but they came up with guns and they took two of your kids. They took them to be in the army and you never see them again. If there's a reason to be bitter, can I tell you what? That's it. How would you like to have had a beautiful home and 300 acres and somebody just took it away from you? You'd have reason to be bitter for the rest of your life. You know people like that that are bitter. And they live their life in bitterness. They live the rest of their life as a victim, looking for someone to compensate them and fix what happened to them. I never saw a penny's worth of that in my grandmother. She just had this glow about her. She was one of the sweetest, godless women women I've ever met in my life. And you know why? It's because she had a real relationship with God. Well, let's look at the first one. The first one was fear. And here's the second thing. Live in a way that pleases him. Live in a way that pleases him. The NIV says, walk in obedience to him. Uh, So literally what he's talking about is living by the Bible. Letting the Bible be our God. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must, say it with me, do what it says. Don't just listen to the word of God. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. Well, can I tell you, friends? Worldly people, they may even say they believe in God, but they don't believe the Bible. Because if you believe the Bible, you'll do what it says. Many believe the Bible is just an old-fashioned storybook, and they live by their own rules. Well, how many know Jesus, uh, there's a scripture that Jesus gave in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. When we talk about this idea of living in a way that pleases him, living by the Bible, it's why we read the Bible in the morning It's why we try to practice it during the day. It's because we're different. 
And how many can say, Pastor, when I live by the Bible and other people don't, it's like I'm going a totally different direction than they are. Come on. The advice I give is not like the advice they give. The things that I do with my money, with my time, the things, the jokes that I laugh at and the jokes that I tell, they're different than the things that are in the world because Jesus has called me to be a different person. Not because I'm better than they are, but it's because, listen, I want to please him. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this evening. He's worthy of all our praise. Let me give you the third thing. What does it mean to love the Lord? Now that's what Deuteronomy said. He said to fear God, live in a way that pleases him. And then he said, love the Lord. Can I tell you, this is one of the hardest ones for me to understand. It's kind of abstract. Uh, I'm going to explain it in a moment though, but I want to suggest to you that the fear of God and the love of God are like counterweights and we need both of them. If you're a fisherman, my grandfather taught me to fish, and we'd put out trot lines for catfish. And that trot line would have a long nylon cord. It would have hooks that hung off of it, but it had two other things that were very important. It had a weight that you put on that trot line, and that weight was to be, when, when that fish would bite it, it would pull back against it. But that weight with a float on the top of the line would determine how, long, how high the weight would be, the line would be. For example, let's say you're fishing and you just know that the fish are running in about four feet of water. You put a good heavy weight in the middle of that line, maybe a foot down, two foot down, but you put a four foot cord with a float on it and it's gonna hold that line and that, and that weight and that float will put that trot line just where it needs to be. Well, can I suggest to you that as a Christian, we need not only the fear of God in our life, but we need the love of God. I need the fear of God and I need the love of God, but to love God is kind of hard for me to understand. Maybe I can explain it to you this way. It's a little bit abstract, but yet Jesus said, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment there is in the whole Bible? You know it. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with, say it with me, all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Well, think about someone that you love. For example, I think about my wife and, and in a nutshell, if I want to truly love Linnell, what I want to do is I want to do things that make her happy and I want to stop doing or not do things that are make her sad. In other words, I know Linnell likes a, whether it's a clean house, if she's, she'll be back doing mission trips pretty soon. When she's off and running around the world, I know she likes a clean house. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to make sure that the dishes are, the sink is clean and it's empty and the clothes are done and, and that her car's spiffed up. Uh, not because that I have to do it or she forces me to do it. I, I want to make her happy. It's part of her love language is serving and I want to I serve my wife. I want to surprise her with things. Uh, one year, a few years ago, we did something that I've never done before, but uh, we got her a car for Christmas. Hers was getting a little old, and I found a good zero interest, you know, for a number of years ago, and, uh, and, and she had no clue, and we were in Mississippi. We had Christmas together, and uh, under her carport, there was a car had a big red ribbon on it, and she pulled up. Uh, I recorded. Rebecca and I were in the car, and she looked, and she said, what is that? And she said, uh-uh, uh-uh. That's not my call. Uh-uh. And you know what? Rebecca and I just had smiles on her faces. You know what? We, why'd we do it? Not because I have to. Because I love her. And I do things that want to make her happy. But on the flip side, there's a lot of things that I don't want to do because she'll get angry at me. Are you with me today? I don't have another girlfriend because Linnell would not like that. And your wife or your husband won't like it either. 
I mean, how would she feel if one day I just walked in with this, with this, this gal and say, hey, honey, uh, this is, we're going to try something new. We're going to be a little like the world, and we're going to, just the three of us, we're going to have playhouse together. Well, she wouldn't like that at all. You see, but I don't do that because I made a vow to her. I made a covenant with her, and I love her. And I'm going to suggest the same thing to you. Following God is, has to be more than an obligation, has to be more than fear, it has to be more than commandments, but it has to have a love in it where the God that I cannot see, I still know and understand through not only my conscience, not only through the Bible, but through the Holy Spirit. I know what grieves God and makes him sad. I want to stay away from that. And I know what makes him happy. And those are the things that I want to do. Come on, give the Lord another good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let me give you the last one, then I'll close. The last one is, that, well, obviously, it was fearing the Lord, living to please Him, loving the Lord. And this last one is serving the Lord. Well, how do you serve the Lord? I'll give you an illustration here. It's like you're living your life on a mission from God. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend something reluctantly with, with a caveat with it. There's an old movie that was probably 30 years ago called The Blues Brothers. Now, if you watch that movie on a channel when they cut out the cussing, it's pretty good. It's a little stupid. It's a little corny. It's a guy's movie, and I wouldn't watch it if they hadn't cut the cussing out. But these basically got, this guy got out of prison, and uh, he was just a hoodlum with his brother that was a hoodlum, but they were orphans, and the, orphan was, the orphanage was going to get repossessed, and the tax bill had to be paid, or the orphanage is going to be gone, and he said, God appeared to me, and now I'm on a mission from God, and the rest of the movie is about him raising whatever it was, $5,000 to be able to give to the orphanage. I mean, kind of a corny movie, but yet at the same time, you say, well, pastor, is that how I serve the Lord? No, I don't think so. Uh, uh, my daughter Bethany, her husband Mason, they just got back. They were in Africa for two years, and they served the Lord. And you say, well, you know, perhaps you saw their pictures. And what they would do, they gave two years of their life just going over and literally serving people that they didn't know, that they didn't meet, people in squatters camps and other things, serving them in the name of the Lord, leading people to Christ, letting the hands of God be extended around the world. I mean, oh, that's a good thing. But is that what I have to do to serve the Lord? Well, some of us do, but most of us will never do that. Can I give you something very practical on how you can serve the Lord every day, the rest of your life? I want to suggest that when you get up in the morning, you simply do this. You offer yourself to God. Now, I don't know what your morning routine is. Some of us can't survive and do anything until we have had coffee. For you, I'd say, wait till the first cup of coffee. But for me, when I get out of bed, that's the time for me, and I'm starting to put some clothes on, put my jeans, slipping my shoes on. I'm saying something like this. Thanks, Lord, for watching over me during the night. Lord, I just want to give my life to you today. Today, Lord Jesus, I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. I want you to open doors. I want you to show me what you want me to do this day. And I start that way. I start my day that way, asking the Lord to, to, to or telling him, number one, that I want to do his will and number two, ask him to lead you. There can be nothing more simple yet profound. Offer yourself to the Lord and ask him to lead you. And I would suggest to you, number three, let your heart pull you into things for the rest of the day that touch you. 
It could be a homeless person you see that you might help. I had something pretty cool that happened to me the other day. Uh, I love to be involved with missionaries. I met this missionary, Pastor Travis referenced him. He was from Nepal. He went to Bible college in the States. And I've never met him face to face. I just met him online. And we developed a relationship for a number of years. And I watched him as he began to go in, in, in a country in the world where it's illegal to be a Christian, where it's illegal to have church. And I watched him begin to go and converts began to be developed. And it began to be a growing ministry. And now there's probably 20, 30 churches that are involved there. Well, I got a letter from him and, and, and the Holy Spirit just put him in on my heart. It wasn't, he wasn't asking for anything. It was nothing like that. But God just touched my heart with it. Actually, this is before I received his email. Because I knew this coronavirus thing is not just affecting Americans. It's affecting people around the world. So I sent him a letter. I asked him how he was doing. And then he wrote back to me and he talked about uh, what was going on and how hard it was for many people. Still didn't ask for anything. But then I said, you know what? I just heard the Holy Spirit say, send him some money. And he writes back to me and he sends me pictures of these people who have been out of work for two months and out of food. And they're buying these big bags of rice and beans and giving it to Christians across the world. We'll never see, we'll never meet. But when we get to heaven, I guarantee you, somebody will say, come up to you, come up to me and say, you gave me food at one of the most desperate times of my life. Can I tell you, that's what you do. You just wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, here's my life. And then you ask the Lord to use you. And anytime something touches your heart, if God brings a person to my mind, in my prayer my time, this happens often. I'm praying, just walking around my yard in the morning. Someone will come to my mind. And invariably, I take that as a sign from the Holy Spirit. I pray for them, and then I send them a text and tell them, I am praying for you. And you would be amazed at what God does. See, this is the way that we live a life of serving the Lord. And I want to suggest to you, friends, if we focus on these kind of things, God only knows what the future can hold. Because you know what? It'll not only... It'll not only be good for us, but it'll be good for lots of folks around the world. Come on, give the Lord a good hand tonight. He's worthy of our praise. Now listen, I'm excited. Next weekend, Saturday night, 6 o'clock, we'll be having our service. Sunday morning at 9 and 11, and uh, we're going to do our best. We'll do the little social distancing thing and all that, but we're going to get back to church as we used to have it and look forward to being able to give you a hug and, and, uh, as we go into the future. Now let me close with this. I cannot promise you a miracle to fix every problem. We started out talking about the supernatural. We started talking about Israel and the plagues. I cannot promise you that a miracle will fix every problem. But I can tell you that supernatural acts fill the pages of the Bible. And I want to tell you, God is the same. Even Jesus said he's the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. Listen, this corona crisis, it is winding down, thankfully. Thankfully, life is beginning to re-engage at a new normal. But I'm telling you, friends, something else will knock in your world. My sister-in-law just this week had a mini stroke or something happened to her. She just had a crisis. It just came to her out of the blue. Things happen in our life. They happen to us physically. They happen to people that we love. And our whole lives can change just like that. I don't know what you, friend, but I want to live in this place. I want to live in the secret place of the Most High God. I want to live in the shelter of the Almighty. I don't want to just pray when I have a problem. I want to be living life in such a way so that if evil in the world knocks on my door and I find myself like my grandfather and I'm being led away to be killed, I want to know 
I don't want to search for God at that point. I just want to know that I'm in a secret place. And Jesus still knows and Jesus still cares. I want to be living life in such a way that I'm like my grandmother leading our family or leading our church or anyone else I don't know or just leading myself. And I pause to make a decision. I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit not to do something. I can avoid horrible, horrible tragedy and destruction because I'm living in this secret place. Well, friends, the answer to that is be different. If you want to put your life in a place where these kind of things can happen, be different. You say, Pastor, how do I be different? How about Deuteronomy 10? What does the Lord your God require of you? Fear the Lord. Live in a way that pleases Him. Love Him. And serve Him. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Smile your head just a moment. Why don't you just close your eyes and just shut everybody else out and have a private moment with God. And just say, Lord, that's, that's not only what I want, that's what I need. I want you to first ask the Lord to forgive you if you've not been living a way that's pleasing to Him. There are times in my Christian life where I become worldly. I become drawn more for pleasure and the things of this world and money and what money can buy. And Jesus takes a back seat. If you're being convicted in any way by the Holy Spirit that you are living like the world, I want you to ask Him to forgive you. It could be TV shows that have crept in. It could be pornography on that computer. It could be pursuing a relationship on Facebook that's out of bounds. Worldliness. It could be your tongue, the words that are coming out of your mouth. It could be punitive words, hurtful words, damning words. I want you to just ask the Lord to forgive you right now. And I want you to receive His forgiveness. No condemnation. And say, Lord, help me be different. I want you to pray that prayer right now. I can't do it for you. Say, Lord, help me be different. Help me walk in the fear of God every day. Help me find that fine balance between the fear of God and the love of God. Help me, Lord, live in such a way that pleases you. I want to please you and love you just like a a husband loves his wife. And lastly, Lord, I want to serve you. We're about to re-engage from this coronavirus. And there's going to be so many opportunities for you to get so busy with so many things. You can squeeze God out. I want you to ask the Lord to help you not be too busy to serve him. I want you to ask the Lord right now to stamp in your memory that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and say, here I am, Lord. I offer my life to you. I want you to ask the Lord to remind you, to ask Him to give you opportunities tomorrow to serve you. And I want you to pray that God would give you the courage and the boldness, the willingness 
to do whatever door is open and whatever your heart's drawn to and whatever need comes across, that God says do it. I want to serve you, Lord, the rest of our days. And now, Lord, we just pray that you might fill us with your Holy Spirit. In anticipation of the day of Pentecost, a celebration in the church this next Sunday, I just want to pray that each day we'd have a vibrant walk with you. And Holy Spirit, our life would be adorned by your presence. Thank God. Thank God. They're going to close with one last song, and here's how we're going to kind of close. We're going to have a group, a prayer team, and they'd be happy to pray for you. And the way we'll do it is after we're done, just turn your blinkers on in your car. Not your lights, but your blinkers. And someone will come to your car and they'll pray for you. Maybe you're here today like a young man was two weeks ago when we did this. There was someone there in the parking lot and said, Pastor, they said, I just need God. I need to get my life right with God. They said, I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell, but I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. They were heavy with the burden of sin and they needed to be saved. They needed to be born again. They wanted to become a follower of Jesus Christ. That happened to me on August 15th, 1976. My mom gave me a Bible. She took me to church. But how many know nobody can force you to become a Christian? It's when you yield your heart to God. And maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need to know Jesus is my Savior. I want somebody to pray for me. Or maybe you're here, you're a Christian, and you've just gotten away from God. We call it backsliding. And you want to recommit your life to Christ today. If that's you, I want you to just turn the lights on. I'm sorry, turn the the flashers on in your car and be patient and somebody will pray for you. Obviously, if you've not looked at our building, if you want to, you can just get out of your car and come on in, social distance and look at the building. If you've not seen it, we'd love to have you do that before you go. But uh, I just want to say today that I love you and I've been honored to be with you these last few minutes. And I look forward to a wonderful future together. Lord, bless your people today. Look on us from heaven above and smile. Let us recognize the smile of God every day. Lord, let us love you back. Let us serve you. Let us live in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for coming. Again, if you want prayer, put your blinkers on. Otherwise, you can either leave or you can come on in, and we'd love to, uh, love to show you the building. One last song. God bless you, and thanks for coming.
Remember, if you want to check out our building, you're more than welcome to do that. We have prayer tomorrow at 11 a.m. in our sanctuary. We would love to have you come out. And remember, next week, tell your friends, tell your family, tell people that don't have a church home that we will be back in our sanctuary uh, Saturday night, 6, and then 2 Sunday morning, 9 and 11. Again, we're so glad that you're here.